just about everything about it except having to go to the store. Thank God for Amazon.com. Amen. You know, you can do a lot of that at home now. Uh, you have to strategically plan where you're going at what time of the day. Uh, I had to run her down to the store yesterday, and we were in a parking lot, and I was going around the side and around this way and that, and she said, what are you doing? I said, I said I'm strategizing on how to get out of this parking lot. I said, if I go out that way, there's no stoplight, and if I go out here, there's no stoplight. I said, we need to get out where there's a stoplight, or we're going to still be sitting here when the Lord comes back. <clears throat> so there, you know, there are some difficulties about Christmas, but I love it. I love Santa Claus. I, I love taking the kids and seeing Santa Claus and getting pictures taken. But I, I don't wig out over stuff like that. I really don't. I, I, I love Elf on the Shelf. Some of you have been very creative this year. I've seen elves on more than shelves. I've seen them in many different rooms. I've seen them uh, drinking coffee. I've seen them eating mints. I've seen them in a variety of activities. Thank God for elves on the shelf. Amen. It kind of helps the kids to kind of connect and just get into the spirit. And I, I just don't have any problems with that. You know, every year we, we, we think, you know, Lord, if we could just have a white Christmas, you know, if it, if it could just snow just on Christmas. And I know that for some of you that's heresy for a pastor to say something like that. But I, you know, I still, I guess I'm young enough and I still remember the family days back years ago and and when there, was, when there was snow outside, we'd all get up in our coats and in our, our, what do you call them, the rags that you put around your neck. The scarves, thank you. You can tell I'm a man, right? I mean, just any old thing that you can wrap the neck with will do. Uh, even toilet paper will do when you're in a bad, bad way uh, for needing it. But I, I just love that kind of stuff. I really do. I remember years ago, I was just a little guy, and one of the guys from church on a Saturday night, we were at a party. And he took a snow shovel and he stuck it in the ground and he said to my dad, he said, I will be at church tomorrow unless the snow is over the handle of this shovel. And sure enough, it snowed all night long and was over that and we had to cancel church. But I, I, I just, I love Christmas. I love everything about it. I love the mistletoe, don't you? Oh man, that can produce some really good moments in your life. You just go stand there under it, and I'm, it's good to go, man. I love mistletoe. I, I really do like it. I like the Christmas trees. I like the lights. I'm thankful that we now have Christmas trees with lights built in, aren't you? And we don't have to untangle all that mess and all that kind of stuff. I just love Christmas time. I love the apple cider. I love the smell of the house. I love uh, the, the evergreen. And, and, and I love, you know, people seem to be more peaceful at Christmas time unless they're trying to get the latest toy for their kids, of course. And then fights can break out, especially in Louisville, it seems. But, it, but anyway, I, just, I love the themes of Christmas and everything about it. And sometimes we, I think, honestly do forget what Christmas really is all about. And today I want to to go back to that, to, to what Christmas really is all about. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and we'll uh, read through verse 25. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. 
It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here with these wonderful people today. We want to focus our mind's eye upon the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ today. Lord, we have time for everything else that surrounds the holidays, and we're grateful for that. We're grateful that we can celebrate with our family and our friends and and have all of that in our lives. But Lord, let us never forget the true meaning of Christmas. And that is that it signified the time when you sent your only begotten son into the world. That he might give his life for us and that our sins might be forgiven and washed away. And Lord, because of that great gift, we are able to live our lives outside of the effects of sin in our eternal history. And so I'm thankful to you for that. And I pray this morning you will help me to represent your word effectively and efficiently today so that it will land in the hearts of your people and they will be able to receive it and they will be able to apply it in their lives and they'll be able to experience you in the fullness that you have for us. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're thankful to be saved today, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad I'm a saved man or woman, whichever you may be. Amen. As I've already said, there's so many things that surround the Christmas holidays, so many wonderful things, so many really good things. But we must never forget that the true meaning of Jesus uh, of Christmas is the fact that Jesus Christ came and he came with a specific purpose. Now, we know if we look at it, there are many things that he came to do. For one thing, he came to live among us and to set an example for us so that we could see how he lived and acted in certain circumstances and situations and leave us an example so that we could say, well, if Jesus could do that and if Jesus could live like that, then I can too because when I became a new creation in Christ, I was no longer limited to the things of the flesh. But I have the nature of Christ living within me. I have the mind of Christ in me so I can think like he does. I can act like he does because he is living in me. As the apostle said, it's no longer I that live, but it is Christ who lives in me. So when you're looking at me, you should be seeing Jesus. 
Now, I will say to you very clearly today that I'm not perfect yet, and there are times that I make some mistakes and do some things I shouldn't do, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But if I'm living effectively the way that I should, I should be looking more and more like Christ every day that I live. So the true meaning of Christmas is that there was this child, the Son of God, Jesus, who would come and live among us and save his people from their sins. He was to be called Jesus. That that name just alone, Yeshua, means Yahweh is salvation. It means that God is our deliverance. He is the one who sets us free. The scripture says the truth will set you free. He is the truth. And so when we accept that as truth, it brings freedom to our lives. And so he came to do some very specific things in the world and in our lives. I want to mention three of those things this morning. Now, over the last several weeks, we've been talking about this idea that there's hope for the holidays. So many people seem hopeless. In fact, just in the last couple of days, our first lady, Michelle Obama, Uh, was in an interview with Oprah Winfrey. I don't know how many of you saw the clips from it, but she she said, after eight years in the White House, she said, we now know what it feels like to be hopeless. And and I I just kind of sat and kind of tried to figure that in my mind. And the first thought that came to my mind is, how can someone who has lived that kind of lifestyle for the last eight years... And is a millionaire today, and believe me, will have all kinds of opportunities to live in this life. How can they feel like it's hopeless? And the point is, is that they see a transition that's coming, and so they feel hopeless. But let me tell you something. Any time, and I've come to this conclusion, any time that we put our faith in world systems, whether it's politics or people or anything else, when we put our hope in that, we're, we're going to feel hopeless at times because my perspective may be different than someone else's perspective. The Democrats see things differently than the Republicans do. America sees, sees things differently than China does and Russia and on and on the list could go. My point is, is that if we focus on worldly systems, we will never have hope. But I'm glad to announce to you today that the one who brings hope is Jesus. And he is available to us today. Put your hope in him. In the first week we talked about we have hope because he knows when to show up. Aren't you glad that Jesus knew when to show up? And then the second week we we realize that scripture says he is... He is the word of God. In the beginning, he was with God, and he was God. And he knows when to speak up, amen? He knows when to say what needs to be said at the time it needs to be said. Pastor John did a great job last week telling us that Jesus Jesus knows, uh, what was the third point? Jesus knows how to help me. Stand up, right. And he talked about how that Jesus came up off of that throne of authority in heaven to stand up for Stephen. He knows when to stand up for us. Today we're going to finalize our thoughts by saying we have hope today because Jesus knows when to settle it up. Amen? He knows when to settle the score for his people. First thing I want to mention to you is he settled the penalty of our sin. Let me tell you today, you don't have to beat yourself up over your sin. You you don't have to try to deliver yourself from your sin. 
His name was Jesus because Scripture says he came to save his people from their sins. He came as the Messiah to save us from the penalty of our sin. Now that word sin in the Greek is hamartia, and it means to miss the mark. It, it means to be off of the bullseye, if you will. How many of you know that all of us attempt and try to live a particular way that we think will be pleasing to the Lord? We look at Scripture and we see things that he commands us to do and things that he says that we should do. And so we try with all of our energies to do those things. And yet, how many times do we just miss the mark? I mean, we just, we just don't. Joe was talking about going and getting his concealed carry uh, permit yesterday. And he was talking about people who were there shooting on the range and he said, they weren't just missing the mark. They were missing the whole target. They weren't even hitting the target. I mean, there have been times that I didn't just miss the bullseye. I missed the whole concept. I, I couldn't even hit the piece of paper. <clears throat> but thank God, Jesus came to pay the price for the penalty of my shortcomings. The scripture says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so it means that we're in this situation where we are continually tempted to do things that we know we should not do. All the way from the beginning of creation, Genesis chapter 2, verse 17 tells us uh, that God said to Adam and Eve, the day that you eat from the fruit of the tree is the day that you will surely die. Now, they didn't die a physical death, but they died a spiritual death. And because of the, what, the sin of one man, sin has covered this fallen world and because God prophesied it. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says the wages of sin is death. Ephesians 5 and 6 says because of these things, the wrath of God rightly comes upon the sons of disobedience. And Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 says, there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. He's talking about hell. He's talking about a place that we don't like to talk about, but a place that is very real. And a place where men and women will go if they do not accept Christ as their Savior. And there will be a great time of suffering there in those times and for, for eternity. And so it's very clear that Scripture bears out this idea that there is a penalty to be paid for the sin of this world. But here's the good news. And here's the reason that you have hope this holiday. Jesus came to pay the penalty for your sin. Amen. You don't have to pay the price because Jesus bore our sins for us. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Aren't you glad that when he was on that cross, he took all the sins of the world, including yours. He took them upon himself, and he paid the price. He only had to do it one time. He doesn't have to do it every day like they did in the Old Testament. He has, doesn't have to offer certain sacrifices at certain times of the year. No, he shed his blood one time. And that one shedding of his blood was enough to cover the sins of this world, including yours and including mine today. Amen. Can you give him praise? Thank God for that. <clears throat> There's a story of a judge 
in Great Britain who was working the night court system and they brought in a homeless man who had been caught stealing some things out of a convenience store. And when the homeless man came in, he had nothing. He was penniless and he came before the judge and the judge said, what say ye about your crime? And he said, I'm guilty. And he explained to him that he had done what he had committed the crime that he was accused of. Being a righteous judge, the judge had to find him guilty. And because there was a fine that was attached to being guilty of that crime, he had to impose that fine upon that homeless man. But that homeless man had no ability to pay that fine. And so when the gavel fell and that judge proclaimed him guilty, when it was all over, the judge reached down in his own pocket And took out his own money and he paid the fine for the homeless man and told him that he could go a free man. That is what Jesus did for you. He is a righteous judge. He has to judge sin righteously. He has no choice in that matter. But thank God, after he has judged us guilty, he reached down, God did, in his own pocket... And the scripture says he gave his only begotten son so whoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And when you believe in him, he settles the penalty of your sin. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Think about that. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And with his stripes, I am healed. I'll tell you, I honestly don't have words to describe to you today how grateful that I am to Jesus Christ for coming and paying the penalty that was rightfully mine. He did it for me. Secondly, he settled the power of sin over our lives. Now, we live in a godless society in the sense that while God is in his people, it doesn't appear that he's ruling and reigning in our world because society is far from him. But here's the truth of the matter. No matter matter how sad society gets, Jesus is still here. He is in you and he is in me and we are his representatives. We can't sit around, sit around and just wonder, you know, well, when's the next time God's going to bless me with this and bless me with that? And bless? No, my primary responsibility is to be his representative in this world. It's not about how rich I can get. It's not about how much stuff I can acquire. Because let me tell you, when you die, your stuff is going to die with you. It's going to stay right here. But if you have laid up treasures in heaven, when you arrive there, there will be a supernatural bank account with your name on it where God is going to bless you throughout eternity. We live in a world that is filled with sin. But the good news is is that God has given us through Jesus Christ everything that we need to live successfully in this world right now. Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23 says the fruit of the, the, the Holy Spirit in you includes goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control among other things. Think about that for a minute. You don't have to be evil. You don't have to be bad. You don't have to be crazy. 
Why? Because when you accepted Christ, one of the fruit of his spirit is goodness. When you get up every day of your life, you're good because of Jesus Christ who lives in you. You don't have to call yourself bad. You don't have to beat yourself up. You don't have to say, well, if I was just this, that, or whatever. You can say, I have the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ living in me. I'm going to find some way to let it flow out of me today. It says that faithfulness is a part of us. You don't have to constantly be up and down and in and out. You don't have to be inconsistent in your life. You don't have to come to church for six months and then come and then stay home for six and then come back for three. And you can be faithful. Why? Because the faithfulness of the fruit of the Spirit of God is within you. He has given you the ability and the power and the tools that you need to be effective. You can be gentle. You say, well, I don't know, I was just raised in an old rural town, and the way we handled things back in then is if somebody did something we didn't like, we just took them outside and beat them. That's what we did. We just take them outside and do this and do that and all that. That's the way I was raised, just who I am. That's the biggest line of baloney I've ever heard in my life. I tell you, it makes me sick to my stomach when I see people put on Facebook about, you know, I was just, that, that's the way. No, it's not the way you are. When you came into Christ, he made you a new creation. Everything passed away, and behold, all things became new. You have the ability to rise above those temptations and those things that would cause you to, to have negative influence on other people. You're a new creation in Christ. You don't have to be, you, you don't have to be one of these bad people and have one of these bad attitudes and just kind of square your shoulders and walk around with this attitude on all the time. No, the scripture says he put gentleness inside of you. You can be gentle when you need to be gentle. Men, you can be gentle with your wife. You don't have to be mean to her. You don't have to back her in a corner and say, you better do what I tell you today, woman. And, and women, you can't do it to your husband either. He's called us to live together in holy matrimony and to be gentle one with another. He's put that fruit inside of us. And I love this one. He said, you have self-control put in you. So I just can't control myself. You know, if I had to say I just can't control myself, I think I'd want to double check and make sure I'm saved. I'd want to double check and make sure that I have the spirit of Christ living within me. I'd want to double check and make sure that the Holy Spirit is control of who I am and the words that I speak and the actions that come out of my life and the attitudes that I possess. I would want to make sure that I have Jesus Christ and his spirit living within me because the scripture says you have the ability to control yourself. Get yourself together. That's what my mom used to tell me. Robbie. Get yourself together. And I had to get myself together because if I didn't get myself together, my mom was going to get me together pretty quickly. So you see, he has given us the opportunity to overcome sin by his spirit that is within us. But too many churches have adopted this philosophy. Come as you are and stay as you are. Because grace is greater. That's the second biggest line of baloney I've ever heard. Well, I got saved, 
so I can keep doing what I've always done because Jesus will forgive me. His grace is amazing. The scripture also says God is not mocked. Whatever you sow of your flesh, you will reap in your flesh. Whatever you sow from your spirit will be reaped in your spirit. Listen, he has given us the ability to change those things within us that shouldn't be. Do you, do you remember in John chapter 8, verse 11, he, he, they, they caught a woman in the very act of adultery. That's one of the craziest things for my mind to conceive, how that they could have caught her in the very act, but they did. They caught her in the very act. And Jesus comes, and to make a long story short, he forgives her. And he said, if none of the rest of these are willing to condemn you, then I do not condemn you either. Neither do I condemn you. He stopped right there, didn't he? He didn't say another word after that. He just, he, no, you've you got to read the rest of it. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. You know, we've got to get ourselves together and realize that he provides a way of escape. There's a story told about a guy that had been asked to read scripture in church, and he didn't, he didn't read very well. And so he is reading uh, the, the passage of scripture in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, where it says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation means the atoning payment for our sin. But he couldn't read very well. So instead of saying propitiation, he said perpetuation. And so he was saying Jesus is the perpetuation of our sin. And the pastor got tickled at him. Because what he was saying was, is that Jesus will enable you to just sin and keep on sinning and keep on sinning and keep on sinning. That's not the way it is, church. God has called us to stop sinning, and we have the ability to do it. You say, how? Hebrews 12, verse 14 says, pursue sanctification. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You say, well, doesn't it just happen magically? Don't you, don't you just come to the altar and you snap your spiritual fingers and then all of a sudden everything's good and you don't have to worry about sin anymore and it's all, it's all good. It doesn't happen that way. It's a process. I know, I know one pastor who told me about a man who came to the altar and he said, he said, I never in my life heard a man cuss his way to salvation. He said, but when he came to the altar, he said it was all he knew. He said it was the only words that he knew how to say. And said he just came to the altar and dear blankety blank, I blankety blank this. And I ask you to take all the blankety blank out of my life and give me some of that blankety blank that blankety blank over there has. I've never heard anybody cuss their way to Calvary, said, but the Lord saved him and forgave him of his sins and turned his life around. And he said he became one of the best church members that I've ever pastored ever in my life. He said, I'm telling you, God can meet you where you are, but he will not leave you where you are. He will cause you to be who he needs you to be. It'll be a process. 
Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 22 and 23, God was speaking to Israel and telling them about the process of how the promised land will come into their possession. And he said this, he said, the Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You will not be able to put an end to them quickly, but the Lord your God will deliver them before you. So what I'm trying to tell you is today, stop beating yourself up. I don't know where your story started. I don't know where you began. But I'm telling you, God will meet you wherever you are. But he will not leave you there. He will take you step by step where you need to go so that you can become the person that he has called you to be. Thirdly, and I'm about to quit. He will settle the presence of sin finally for us. I'm going to say something that will make some of you upset, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's true. I've already told you we live in a fallen world. And what that means is and until Jesus Christ comes again and redeems this world, we're going to always be in a fallen world. We're never going to be in a time in history where there is no sin that exists. Where there is no temptation that exists. This world is fallen. And because it is fallen, you're always going to be tempted to go against the principles of God. You're always going to have this temptation within you. The scripture says in 1 John chapter 1 verse 8, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Two things you need to know about what he's saying here. Number one, he's talking to the people of God. He's saying if we, the people of God, say there's no sin in us, there's no truth in us. So he's saying you cannot say that there's no sin in me. And the second thing that you need to know about this passage of Scripture is it's in the present tense. When he's talking, he's not talking about some time before a salvation. He's talking about right now, in this world right now. Right now, there is sin all around us. But thank God, we have forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. Amen. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, he talked about his ongoing battle with sin. And he said something like this. He said, the things that I would do, I do them all the time. He said, and the things that I would not do or that I would want to do, I I don't do those things. And he struggled. And then he made this statement. He said, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God, it will happen through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So we have something wonderful to look forward to, church. I'm so happy that we can celebrate Christmas, and I'm so happy that we can celebrate the birth of the Christ child, and I'm so thankful that Jesus came to save me from my sins, but I'm also thankful that there's a day coming when I won't even have to interact with sin anymore because I'm going to be in an environment and an atmosphere where sin cannot be, where sin will be barred from the people of God. I'll be able to walk in total and complete freedom Freedom in Christ Jesus. Priscilla's going to come and sing a song here in just a moment. I want you to go ahead and come if you will. But I want to remind you of what 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 says. It says, we will be like him, for we will see him just as he is. So I thought I was like him now. 
I thought I had his divine nature in me now. I thought I had the mind of Christ in him now. In me now. That's true. You do. But we will always be growing in revelation until one day when we stand before him and we see him, it will not just be an occasional glimpse of him, but we will see him in the fullness of his glory and immediately we will know him in a personal way. We will be as he is on that day when we see him. So I live every day of my life looking forward to that day. I live every day of my life realizing that this world offers me nothing that can take away my desire to one day stand before him and see him. Listen, here's what it's going to be like. Revelation chapter 21 verse 27 says, there will be nothing unclean. Say nothing unclean. And no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You say, well, how do I get my name written in that book? Is it, can I Google that? Can, can I go to some website and sign up with my email address? Is there a, year, a yearly subscription? How can I do No, all you've got to do is just call out the name of Jesus Christ and repent of your sin and ask him to come into your life. And the very instant that you do that, your name will be recorded in the book of life in heaven and you will be eternally with him. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? That's good news. I want you, if you will, for just a moment, I want you to just focus your attention upon what it's going to be like when Jesus comes again. Oh, we know. We know we have a historical record of what it was like when he came so many years ago. There were sheep there. There were mules there. There were them Joseph and Mary were there. There were shepherds there. There were wise men there. And at our house, our nativity scene a couple of years ago, not only had all those people, but Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse were there as well. I'm pretty sure Jovi invited them to the party. I'm not sure what the nativity looks like in your house. But let me tell you, we have a historical record of what it looked like when he came the first time. A babe in a manger. No place to lay his head. There was no room in the inn for him. We know all that. But let me remind you, that's not how he's coming back the next time. When he comes back the next time, he's coming back a reigning king. He's going to step out on the eastern sky and the trump of God shall sound and all those who are dead in Christ shall rise first and those of us who remain, we're going to get, be gathered and meet them in the air so that where he is, we can live forevermore eternally with Jesus Christ. Not a little child, but a reigning savior. Amen. I want you to think about that. While Priscilla sings, I'll be back in just a moment.
the sky shall unfold. Preparing his entrance And the stars shall applaud him With thunders of Then we shall behold him. Then face to face, we shall behold. Yeah. 
Savior and our Lord. 